Hi, you're listening to a weekly highlights podcast of Breakfasters for the week ending Friday the 1st of April 2022. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on the podcast this week, you hear us chat to comedy legends Denise Scott and Judith Lucy about their show Still Here, which is playing at the Comedy Festival. And then speaking of comedy, what's it like if you catch someone before they break big? We talk about pretty special experience Bobby had with someone. <laughs> Mel Cranenberg and Beth AQ joined us to chat about their last shows on Triple R after four years on air. And people talking loudly on public transport, we gave our strong opinions on this. Michael Harden talked us through the large variety of salts. Uh, we reminisced about taking the plunge into singing lessons. Catherine Devaney joined us ahead of the launch of her new book, True North, a memoir, and we reflected on the legacy left by our older siblings. Triple R. Denise Scott and Judith Lucy are both award-winning comedians, both actors and both best-selling authors who have, for the sixth time, combined their immense talents for their new show Still Here, which premieres at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and ahead of what's certain to be a fantastic sold-out run. The beloved comedy duo join us now. Scott and Judith, welcome back to Breakfasters. Well, Good it's morning. A, it's a pleasure to be here in person. <laughs> I say it's a pleasure to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have every right to say that, Judith. I, I do, Scotty. I should say we just did. Well, I mean, this is what's so fantastic and exciting about Melbourne is there's no way the season can be worse than Adelaide. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. What happened? Well, I I got COVID. We had to cancel four shows. Um, and I, as I was being taken to emergency, Scotty Don't. was getting on the plane and abandoning me. So, <laughs> you know, it's all up from here. Yes, I will confess. Look, I my what's the word, defence, is that I was told by management to pack my bags and get on the next plane yeah. as though it was some kind of, I don't know, war cry. I, I was in a panic in my room. Sure, I'd seen Judith look like death being taken to hospital, but then it was all about me, like, yeah. what the hell? I've got to pack my bags. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get back to Melbourne. I don't know why. I don't quite understand what's happening, but that's the order that's been given. And meanwhile, I didn't know what was going to happen to Judith. And then it was, was it midnight? And did you really care? No. Oh, I, I did care, Judith, but not enough. Yeah, um, yeah. But, Judith, tell me, was, was it about midnight you messaged me? You sent me a text saying I'm out of hospital? Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Yes. It was, look, it was exciting times, everyone, because, you see, it went to my chest very quickly. It did. So everyone got into a bit of a panic and I went to emergency and there was just this wonderful moment where I'd had all these tests done. I was sitting at the Royal Adelaide Hospital on my own waiting for results and, you know, I did have that thought, well, this is how people die. Yeah. But, look, I was feeling great. And then a nurse in the full protective gear just popped his head in and said, gee, I was a fan of the movie Cracker Jack. And I thought to myself, what I really want from you right now is to tell me whether I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. And then you sent me the text message saying, Scotty, because we were in adjoining hotel rooms mm. in Adelaide, um, would you mind dropping a sleeping pill? Not that I'm a drug mule, but <laughs> I am the carrier of the... Anyway, so 
Would you mind dropping a sleeping pill? I'm being released from hospital. Could you leave a sleeping pill at my door? And I said, I'm back in Melbourne in bed with John at the moment. (laughs) I was already just a memory. (laughs) I'd already got on that plane and was out. So, yes. So, um that's the story of our friendship. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad because one of you is on the phone and obviously uh, Denise and she, I was worried that you were having a feud, but I'm relieved to learn it was just one of you was hospitalised. <laughs> no, well, we are having a feud and this is how we're going to do the show from here on in. <laughs> so it's kind of like we're going to alternate with one of us on stage and the other one just doing it from home. So Melbourne's going to be really excited. Um, what, what is the show? I see you invoke oh. waiting Forgotto meets flying high. I mean, that's pretty full on. Is that not enough? It's of an it's, explanation. I, I love it. I love it. Um, it were you like, are people going to understand? Why? I mean, who are you appealing to there? Because I, I love no it. No one. And we don't care, Daniel. We've never, ever tried to appeal to anyone. And this is true. It, it is. Well, well, what would we. The thing is, we do a lot of. Would you say acting? Would you call it acting, Judith? I don't uh, think we. Well, there is mm. dancing, singing, and acting in the show, but as we've pointed out on more than one occasion, we can't do any of those things. <laughs> but the, this is the amazing thing, and maybe it's to do with having been through lockdown or whatever. We don't care. Great. No. It's mm. like, butter it. Mm. If you're not going to dance and sing now, when the hell are you going yes. to? Yes. And we add in poignant moments, I believe they're called poignant, to... To um, give the show depth. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know if there's any pathos or? Oh, there's so much pathos. Oh. Well, I mean, the oh. fact that neither of us can really move at all, Daniel. I mean, I think a lot of people know yeah. that Scotty hasn't been able to move from the from the hips down for well 15, 20 years. Yeah. And my shoulders went on me during lockdown. Oh. So no, we can barely move. So seeing the three of us struggle through not one, not two, but three dance numbers. <laughs> Will I think make the audience weep? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's bursting with pathos. Then, it, what, what's the um? You two enjoy working <laughs> together, obviously. Do, uh, is it? it well, no, it's, well, it's not it's, obvious at the moment. Or is it just financial then? I mean, is it? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And I mean, God knows, every time before there's a new year, a new season of festivals, I'm on the phone to Julia Morris. I'm on yeah. the phone to Kitty Flanagan. But you know, there's never any takers, Daniel. So yeah. here we are again. Yeah. Um, who do, do you find? Do you laugh at each other's jokes? No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, we don't. But what we do do is we say yes, don't we, Judith? Yes. Yes. You see that? (laughs) Yes. We say yes because if we don't, we're screwed. Yeah. You know, we'll have nothing. So that when Judith said to me, Scotty, what about we do liturgical dancing? Mm. I did I did not know what it was. But I said, yes, Judith, that yeah. would be fantastic. And it's dancing to hymns, for those of you who don't know yeah. and who are obviously going to hell if you're not <laughs> equipped with that sort of knowledge. But I think we also need to say, Scotty, that, my God, the show could not be more Melbourne. Like, oh, yes, that's true. The show is essentially about Scotty and I being locked down for the last two years and every single tragic thing that happened in Melbourne, whether it was, you know, um, excessive facial hair, boredom, <laughs> depression, um, excessive eating, drinking, yes. it's all in there. It, this is where it gets really theatrical. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've got props Ooh. that fall. 
Like, dead like, set. I, I mean, you know, we're not asking the audience to just visualise it in their minds. Yeah. It's happening there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's incredibly dramatic. It is. We've got the earthquake. We've got the riots. We've got. Mm. It, if it happened in Melbourne, it is in our show. Excellent. I mean, I'm not saying it's entertaining, <laughs> but it's in there. It's re-traumatizing. It's, 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 it's right. It's chronologically accurate. <laughs> exactly. It's like a documentary. <laughs> That's what everyone wants at the moment. Um, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Would you draw a line? It's during this show. We'll draw a line under the last two years for both of you and for everyone who attends. We'll so, draw a line as in as like great. Sort of... We've got it out of our system. We've seen the humour in this. Now let's you know move on. Now it's done, Daniel. I think it's fair to say that as long as we make money, we don't care. Yes. If we're doing this show for another fifteen, twenty years, yeah. then that's fine. Beautiful. Yes, it'll be a moment in history that we'll just keep recreating. <laughs> I think you went on different. Ta- I think Judith was saying whatever gets the dollars in, she doesn't care. But you all seem to make it more philosophical. Well, this is the difference between <laughs> Judith and I. On, um, I'm a much more philosophical, deep thinker yeah. than Judith. Just all about it's the true. cash. It's true. As Scotty got on the plane and said goodbye <laughs> and good luck, while I was struggling to breathe an emergency, it was just because she was being philosophical about and it. And of course, at that point, I was rewriting the show for one. Yeah, uh, getting it ready. Of course, I was going to give five minutes for Judith and, <laughs> and how great she was. And maybe just, you know, at least one minute of that would have just been a moment of silence. <laughs> we've we've heard of the great resignation and tree changes and all that over the last two years. People have faced up to what they actually want to do with their lives and maybe change or maybe not. And yet here you two are doing the exact same thing together. Does that show that you actually love it and you, you've made the correct decisions throughout your career? No. no. No, 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 no. God, Daniel. This, on this we agree. Go, Judith. It's all Oh, yours. there's not a day that Denise Scott and I aren't riddled with regret about all the choices we've made that have led us to this point. And, and in fact, you know, we joke that it's desperation, but it's serious, isn't it, Judith? They're like, because... You know, and, and uh, many comedians who... Like, I'm 66, for God's sake. And... Uh, why am I look? I don't know. As I keep saying, there's nothing else I know how to do. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? And it, I, I, I've got nothing, no problem with being a barista, <laughs> but I don't know how to do it, and yeah. I'm scared of that. <laughs> I'm scared of becoming anything else. So this is all we know. So I think I think your answer, Daniel, is that we are just largely motivated by fear. <laughs> Well, what do we care? We're just having a good time. So we don't give a shit how you're feeling up there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. fair enough. And we don't give a shit about the audience. So it's a, it's a, it's a very, very level playing field we're all on. Thank you. Well, I don't, I mean, so 70-minute show, it's an early one. Oh, we love an early show. Mm. We love an as Scotty said, she's 66, I just turned 54. Do you know what? There was a time when if I saw that we were doing a 2 o'clock show on a Sunday, I'd want to shoot myself in the face, and now I just embrace it. Yeah. Now, honestly, our audience at 2 o'clock, they've had a couple of wines, they're, you know, they're, they're home for, I don't know, Foil's War by 7.30. And they're having the time of their lives. We all are. What about getting your night? Did you enjoy having your nights to yourself? And now you are. I know, I know it's an early show, but the life of a stand-up, you know, being 
up late, you know, comedy drags on nights sometimes. Look, it's barely a hiccup in my life. I'm out there, I do the show. Yeah. I'm back home, I've got a wine pool. <laughs> and I barely recall having been out of the house. I don't know about you, Chipters. Oh, no, I think you know I'm the same. And look, quite often, especially as the season goes along, at least oh, maybe by halfway through the show, we are both thinking about what we'll be having for dinner. Yes. So it's it's really like the show is just sort of a, a dream by by 8.30 at night when <laughs> we're, we're both at home tucked up with, a, as Scotty says, a wine and, you know, a delicious meal. So come along and do the same thing. <laughs> yes. And, you know, come along and while you're watching the show, think, not long now. <laughs> I kind of did want to ask, is it if you're an atheist or you're not uh, christened, is liturgical dancing blasphemous? That's an interesting mm. point, Daniel, because... I went to Catholic it? school, oh, okay. as did Judith. Yes. And I, there were certain points where I would go, no, that that's too much. It will be too much. We'll lose the Catholics. <gasps> you don't want to we'll lose them. You don't so want to lose the Catholics, them. yes. And even it's quite deep-rooted. I think Judith's prepared. Judith, what would you say? You well, all... you see, it, it, and this is where it's not often that the age difference is a factor with you and I, Scotty, but you see I very much... I was very much a good news for modern man kind of girl. I, I was very much a 70s Catholic, and so I felt that dancing for God was just a natural kind of expression. And, in fact, I can't believe I've never said this. This is a scoop triple R. I used to sometimes go into the church on my own no. during lunchtime and just dance for God. There you have it, everyone. Oh, Judith. Some people were smoking and kissing boys, but I was dancing for God. So, no, I didn't see it as blasphemous. And, and this is true, and, and this is an amazing moment for me. I'm getting quite emotional because Judith and I have spent so much time together and in writing shows that there's rarely Judith says something that I haven't heard before, but she's kept that one secret. Yeah, I really, and this is very true. I mean, honestly, it's gotten to the point where Scotty will start a story by saying, I've got a story, I don't think you've heard it before, and I'll just automatically stop listening because I know it's not true. <laughs> I can't believe it. Do you use the steps on the altar or is it just all the stage? Like, Are you allowed to dance around or do you have to stick to you're a not, certain... You're not stuck in place in the liturgical dancing you move around right yeah yeah it's, oh, it's Daniel, very come along to the people face you've got to see it dancing that scotty and i will be doing there is not a, a centimeter of that stage we don't use no. <laughs> we are running around which is so well i never run i can't run mm. my knees are stuffed but gee i shuffle like there's no tomorrow <laughs> oh. she shuffles like the wind <laughs> Still here with Judith Lucy and Denise Scott is on from the 31st of March to the 24th of April at Playhouse at the Arts Centre. And can I just say, Daniel, we did have to cancel shows in Adelaide. And, mm. and at this point, even though we've done three seasons, we haven't made a cent. <laughs> no, I would love people to come in Melbourne. Yes. Just, I'm putting it out there, Scotty. Yes. We need your money desperately. I was I was going to withhold from begging, but I'm glad <laughs> you've, you've taken up that mantle, Judith. I think people would be very sympathetic to poor Judith and Scotty. But it's very true. Liturgical dancing and a collection. Plate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, like yeah, I love it. Uh, well, do what they say. Comedy is where you go for tickets to still here. And thank you so much for both being on. 
Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, and I'll see you some... Oh, no, I won't, Judith. You'll be on screen. I'll be on stage. (laughs) Triple R. So Comedy Festival kicks off tomorrow, which is very exciting. Got a few shows and then I think majority of the shows kick off on the Thursday, the 31st. Um, probably about six or seven years ago, uh, Ursula Carlson, who obviously everyone knows now, she's performed at the gala and she sells out and plays in, in big rooms and everything uh, nowadays. Yeah, about six or seven years ago, I had read about Ursula uh, Carlson into some different articles and, and about her stand-up comedy, uh, but I hadn't seen her before and she was performing at Midsummer Festival. Um, so I, I wasn't in Melbourne for Midsummer Festival, but I was in Adelaide, so I thought I'd catch her Adelaide Fringe show. I was hanging out with mates. Uh, I was staying with a mate when I was in Adelaide and they were all going to see this one show one night, but it was the only time that I was going to be able to see Ursula Carlson. So I was like, sorry, I'm I'm just going to go by myself. Do you go to comedy festival shows by yourself, Daniel or Mon? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, right? I've, I've generally, I've gone to lots of like shows in general on my own. You go by yourself, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah definitely. Like music and theatre and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so friends were going and they're like, you, you're going alone. I was like, yeah. Like, I can't I, see how comedy is a collective experience though. I don't think yeah. I've done that on my own. I think as a comedian, if there's comedians that I want to see, I'm, I'm more than happy to go and sit by myself and watch a show. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was, I, I was keen, I was excited, so I went to the show and I hadn't – booked a ticket but I was like oh it's it's like a Tuesday night I'm sure it's fine um so I went to the place and as as I got there I was like hi I just want to buy one ticket to Ursula Carlson and the lady on the door said oh I'm really sorry um the show's not on I said the show's not on is it sold out or it's not on and then Ursula Carlson walks out behind the curtain she goes it's not on no one bought a ticket (gasps) and I went oh my god Ursula Carlson (laughs) she goes what are you doing? You want to grab a beer? I go, uh, yes, please. When was Absolutely. this? How long ago was this? Six or seven years ago. Wow. Yeah. Like, and then she, she's like, all right. And I was like, oh my God, this was so exciting for me because I had read up all about her. I'd seen a little bit of her stuff online, not too much. I didn't want to see too much of her performance online. I just had read a, a, quite a bit about her. Um, so I was pumped. So we went, uh, we were walking down because it was Adelaide Fringe Festival. There was lots going on. Uh, so we were chatting away um, and then we went and grabbed a beer and uh, she said, she goes, oh, I'm performing at this other showcase if you want to come and check that out. I said, oh, I can't. My mate's emceeing an event. So um, anyway, we'll finish this beer and then be on our way. And turns out my friend was emceeing the same show that she was performing at. Mm. So we hung out all night. It was so much fun. And then I Kid you not, the following year at Melbourne Comedy Festival, she got a five-star review and then started selling out. Mm. And now, and I reckon it was the following year she was on the gala, and she, she's just huge. <gasps> but I was saw her. I was there when she was nothing. <laughs> you made her what she is. I can't believe she... That's amazing. What's the word for that, I guess, when you come out and, like, she could be so embarrassed. and But the fact that she fronted up and said, yeah, no one has bought a ticket to my show. Yeah. And then had it be with the one loser who wanted to see her. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I think if that the was me. The one supporter <laughs> of her career. Um, I know that, comedians who have locked the door. Yeah. I re- and just sat on stage for the hour. Oh. Just ruminating on no sales. Oh. What's the smallest group that you have performed in front of? Oh, the smallest group I've seen. I mean, I, I've been in crowds with four people yeah. and stuff. Yeah. 
I did. I one comedy festival season, I had uh, I think four tickets sold, and I and it was a group of four, so I was like, okay, at least they're together. But I was just like, oh god, this is going to be rough. Mm. So I had a couple of beers beforehand. I thought to stuff. I'm just going to have a couple of beers and have a yarn with these this group, and thankfully, randomly. Um, a group of 10 people just came oh. down um, and just said to the people on the door, they're like, what shows are on? We're just going to go now. Yeah. And they're like, oh, Bobby McCumber's show is on. So I had 14, but it could have been four mm. and it could have been hell. Oh. Meanwhile, I was a little bit pissed because I had a couple of beers before, <laughs> but it went well. I mean, I think I've seen, I saw Dave Hughes with like eight other people and he was right. talking about no one coming and saying that he offered lifts home to the audience. <laughs> Stuff like that. That was uh, when I came because it was effectively a Friday funny bugger on Triple R. It was that long ago? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, I saw Ross Noble in a very, very small room in the town hall. Wow. Before he blew up. That was, I saw Jet at the Duke of Windsor. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Mm. Uh, and, yes, I mean, is that that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah, definitely, definitely had huge commercial success. Yeah, not as much these days, no. but like when you saw that would have been on the brink of it, I imagine. Yeah. It'd be nice to see live music back in that neighbourhood, but yeah. Yeah, it's a separate discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to, like, do you find you feel like you should, you can claim any ownership of it, over it? Like you saw it as the cars and you obviously were already a fan. Like some people, you yeah. know, so you knew, you thought she had something that was good, whereas some people might stumble upon a band or whatever that gets massive yeah yeah but it was just happenstance you know they didn't go yeah. they just were like oh i saw this little band and then it turned out to be acdc like there are a million of those yeah 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 stories but when you when you've seen the light do you feel a little bit smug oh absolutely <laughs> like when i was uh, i remember going to see one of her shows and it was in one of the bigger rooms at the melbourne town hall and i was just like oh Get out of town. The line was so long. And because we, I don't know, I got a drink beforehand and I just stupidly expected to rock up to the front of the line or something. Mm. And it was just so long. I was like, oh, my God. Nice taste, sheeple. (laughs) (laughs) I saw her back in the day. Yeah. I mean, I uh, remember really enjoying Prue Blake. Yes. And oh, inviting yeah. her on the show and then she won Raw. I, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she came on as a, as a Friday funny bugger with a terrible Skype connection. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but even then it was good. Yeah. yeah. But, of course, yes, that's this cool. is purely correlation, not causation. Yeah, she didn't make it on Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Uh, no. But you, you're, you, you're at the ground floor of... A million things, Mon. Well, yeah, I, yeah, it is. And there's, I think there's a lot of bands you see. And, the, you know, I saw um, a – I don't even know how to pronounce his his, his name, but, like, Carby Warby. Carby, he does a lot of photography, like, gig photography and stuff, and he he's kind of involved with the megahertz in some roundabout way. Mm. But he – I think it was him who posted. hope it was him because I'm going to get it wrong now. But he posted – because Amal and Sniffers recently played at um, Rod Laver Arena. And he said, "I love seeing a band that I've seen play the Tote, yeah, play at Rod yeah. Laver because it's just like what a what a trajectory, and especially for a band like that, it's been such a quick one too. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I remember like seeing RVG upstairs at the curtain, and there were about forty people there, and I tried to find their presence on social media, and there wasn't one, and it was just like, but that was a band who immediately, I was just like." give me everything you've got, like yeah. everything you've recorded. I want to hear it straight away and I want to play it on radio and, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's. I think it's that's the benefit of going and seeing small gigs and going to the comedy oh, festival definitely. and rocking up and being like, who's who's new, who's available? And yeah. music, it's so important to go get along to, to gigs when there are a few different bands playing, get there early. Like I remember seeing, you know, she's more commercial than, than Triple R, but someone like Gordy 
Mm. I saw her support someone else at the workers' club and got there in time to see her. And again, there were like 20 people there and then chatting to her afterwards and she was like selling tea towels with her face on it, you know? <laughs> wow. And I was like, she's so good. Like, why, why isn't everybody here? Yeah. Ooh, ooh. I saw Mike Marin supporting Janine Garofalo in San Francisco oh. before his podcast. Did you? Wow. Yes. Uh, and he, uh, it was classic Mark Maron because he was hilarious and then I think resented us for laughing. And, um, and then it turned really sour and weird. And, it sounds uh, brand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, yeah, it exploded. But, of course, yeah, you're right. You're so right. Oh, like, you, you, it's, you got to get out to get that kick. Yeah. Uh, because when you see something independently through your own eyes and know that it's special, nothing competes with that. Yeah, mm. definitely. In the arts. Yeah. Um, and the t- ticket prices are cheaper too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Triple R. This is Bittersweet. Host of Backstory, Mel Cranenberg, and host of The Glass House, Beth A. Cure, tomorrow winding up their Wednesday Triple R shows after four years in the midday and 1pm time slots. And to tell us about their extraordinary tenure and the joy they brought listeners on the airwaves, the bookish radio neighbours join us now. Beth and Mel. Yay! Thank you. That Thanks. introduction. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> I haven't even started. Well, what are you doing? Is, this, is it synchronicity? Is it coincidence? You arrive at the same time? Yeah, it's actually really funny because we went out for lunch and I think, you know, doing a talk show, you prepare a lot, you read a lot. It is a really big commitment. And we kind of sat down at the same time and I was like, oh, I want to kind of talk to Mel. Um, And at the same time, she was like, I kind of want to talk to you. And yeah, it just kind of happened together. And it feels very cute because now we're sharing a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very intimate. I know. Yes, we do everything together. It's a little known fact. Uh, but you, the, the shows are so deep. It fe- it feels listening like a full-time job putting it together. Did, is it like that on your side? Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> full-time job. I... You know, I definitely read at least a book or two a week. Mm. And I love reading, obviously. Uh, My kind of inner 14-year-old self or 13-year-old self or even younger is constantly still amazed that I get free books on my doorstep, (laughs) which is, you know, it never quite goes away. But, yeah, on top of everything else, it's quite a lot. But I don't know. I probably wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah. I really have to be honest. Yeah, I totally agree. It's very bittersweet because it is, it's so much work, but you know, you put in the work like you guys do because you care so much about it and it, you know, it feels respectful to your to your guests to kind of engage with their work deeply. But yeah, it is a lot of reading. Well, that's right. <laughs> the guests will miss you. And that's, is have you, how have you uh, dealt with the uh, support and congratulations so far? Is it? I'm still in deep denial, so <laughs> thank, you. thank you for that. It's actually really overwhelming because I think, and I'm sure Beth will agree, we spend a lot of time just in our own houses, <laughs> in our own heads. We haven't really had, you know, studio guests. We've had like, you know, phone guests mostly recently. So I think it's really impossible to know just you know, what impact you might be having or how people are feeling. Mm. And recently a lot of writers reached out and writers don't (laughs) do Mm. reaching out so much because they're (laughs) also in their own houses, in their own heads. And it's been just incredible, actually. It's, you know, it's such a wonderful community. People who who really do spend a lot of time alone writing uh, have an opportunity to get out there, to Mm. have people who love books get in touch with them. So it's been 
been really moving. Sorry to kind of just bring this to this emotional it's tone. It's not emotional. No, it's First time. thing in the morning, please cry. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about that. You talk about writers being in their own heads. Has it ever, um, and don't worry, they're not listening, but <laughs> has there ever been a time where it's it's been quite difficult to interview people who are generally introspective, you know, where you've had to sort of pull into your bag of tricks and find oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, look, it's I have to say especially, you know, talking to people not in studio, it can be quite hard because you want to sort of, you know, mm. make faces or do eye contact. And again, I think, you know, sometimes people are like, do I talk too much? Do I talk too little? Uh, these are not necessarily people who spend a lot of time talking, but if you think about it, writers have to promote their own books. It's such mm. a weird duality where they spend all this time <laughs> you know, writing and writing and then suddenly they're like, oh, that thing from my brain, you want to know about it? (laughs) So, yeah, we kind of, I think Beth will agree that it's something that both of us have had to learn Mm. (laughs) little ways around. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, as most broadcasters have felt over the last couple of years, it has been a particular kind of work when you are interviewing people over Zoom. Um, And, yeah, I think particularly if you are interviewing someone that is a little bit more introspective, all of the, like, pre you know, warming up mm. is really helpful. So when you don't have that, it is, I don't know, it, it, it's difficult. Yeah. Is that why you're leaving? <laughs> so I'm out, yes. <laughs> Done. I'm sick of it. Uh, Beth, I, I've known you for a few years. You actually interviewed me when you were on Sin and I was doing a comedy oh. festival show and we worked together at a gym together as well. Um, you've been working in community radio for a long time now. Um, you, what does it mean, community radio, to you? Oh, um, yes, me and Bobby go way back, which I love. <laughs> we used to work at a gym together, so obviously still in the same field. Um, <laughs> I mean, community radio, I could wax lyrical and also cry about how mm. much I love it. I think that, you know, I think the thing that I love about community radio that's really seen me through different stations is that it is exactly what it says it is. It is a platform that is by the community, for the community, that the access to entry is, you know, is low purposely so that you don't need to necessarily have, a, you know, tertiary education to get on a broadcast, but you just need to have um, passion and dedication. And that's what I see and hear every time I listen to Triple R. And it's just honestly been such a privilege of my life to like have a regular show here. Mm. I have to say it's more than one of the reasons that I think I decided to wind up the show as well and I'm sure Beth is in a similar position where you know this is community radio and over the break that I took over summer it was really incredible to hear all the Phil hosts that stepped into that slot and I just got so excited as well to hear new voices on the air and Mm. it's one of the really incredible things I think about this station in particular about community radio is that you really do get that opportunity to hear people who aren't normally on the grid who do shows during that time. So I am super excited Mm. to hear who's going to step into our slots. That's just going to be such a joy. Well, before that happens, and since since you're being uh, (laughs) reflective, do you have any highlights or memories or or interviews that stick in your mind and have, have paid for itself? I mean, for me, one interview was um, interviewing Uncle Archie Roach about his um, memoir, Tell Me Why, and he, I think the tears are coming, Um, he is just, you know, he's an icon, he Mm. has had such an incredible life, and um, I was interviewing him before, uh, you know, what potentially was going to be one of his last shows, and it was just such an incredible honour, and 
I just felt like throughout the whole interview I was just thanking him <laughs> <laughs> and he was thanking me and I was like, oh, this is really nice. <laughs> I don't know how good it was for other people but I had a great time. <laughs> I actually am thinking about uh, the first interview I did with Helen Garner and we actually ended up bumping into each other across the road at the cafe mm. and I ended up having this weird conversation with her about being trapped in the Sistine Chapel and <laughs> mosh pits and something else. So by the time we actually got into the studio, it felt a lot more comfortable, oh, which so was, good. you know, of course I was going to be talking to Alan no, Garland yeah. about my mosh pit experience <laughs> as a teenager. But yeah, you know, didn't make it to air, but still. Uh, is there anything that we should brace ourselves for tomorrow? Is it all locked in? What, what are you up to? Yeah, I mean, I think I know Beth's got a couple of surprises mm. up her sleeve, but yeah, I have uh, I have two guests. I'm somehow fitting in on air, and uh, I think I might leave it as a surprise okay, for yeah. listeners. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to a last show. I will have a live guest or an <gasps> in-person guest, so I might just be so excited about them being there. Like, take hello, them <laughs> I, can, I could actually reach out to touch you if that was something that I was inclined to do. It'd be amazing. <laughs> What about on your Wednesday afternoons now? What are you going to do? Do you think you'll read just as much? Oh my God! I've already seriously. More, I've got a I've got a list. I don't know about you, but I not only a list. I've got a pile oh, wow. of books. I've started to message people. Do you know what I'm going to read next week? <laughs> it's like <laughs> you might not know because I'm not going to talk about it. I feel like I have to say that Mel gets up extremely early on Wednesdays to either read or reread the books that she does. So I just need to point that out because I really hope that that won't continue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to get up at 4.30 and, you know, call people or something now. Yeah, call us. We'll be here. (laughs) I'll be like, oh, my God, is that crank collar again? (laughs) Talking about books. It's just so interesting because Triple, if Triple R has a reputation for its presenters engaging with the material, you two are at the pointy end of that. Like you really represent the diligence and passion that we hope the station pursues every single day. So just personally, thank you. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, I wonder whether you'll focus on yourself more rather than looking so outward yeah, I mean, I'm trying to write something. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. But no, yeah. like I said before, no one's I don't listening. know if that's focusing on myself or just basically being completely, you know, an idiot because I'm going to spend more time alone in my room getting creepier. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Although to that point, I have to say one of the things that's always completely astonished me is writers saying, oh, you read the book? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really happen, I think, with my show things like, you know, people on Triple R will always read the book and I think that that's what, you know, is an incredible part of what we do. I know it's a it's understandable when you're doing a lot of fast-moving radio or podcasting that you don't have time, but I think we're all kind of crazy enthusiasts on this mm-hmm. station, so, yeah, of course we're going to read the book. We're going to read it, we're going to reread it, probably read a whole lot of other stuff that you wrote. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's one of the things that we definitely get on the station that maybe doesn't happen elsewhere. Mm. Well, look, I don't want to say goodbye. Uh, (laughs) But we have to. So uh, it all happens tomorrow, midday. Were you both, are you often there for each other's shows? Like, do you you come in earlier? (laughs) 
We kind of pass the baton. We see each other through the glass window. We we have a wave. Yeah. We are kind of a little bit ships in the night, but yeah. Um, yeah I mean, now we're going to join a, a, a singing group. We <laughs> share. Oh, yeah. We're both sharing a microphone. <laughs> like it's really quite Doing a great insane. job of it. Though, no, so. This is the closest we've ever been. <laughs> but I mean, it's actually coming in and out over the particularly over lockdown because we were in studio but siloed all Mm. completely COVID safe if Mm. anyone's listening. Um, But, you know, like we, I would come past, you know, when Beth was starting her show and I felt like I was like doing that thing where I'm pressing my face against the glass (laughs) longingly. It's always incredibly moving. I'm going to miss you, actually. (laughs) I'm going to miss you to just like rock up on a Wednesday. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. Go go to Milk Boy. Well, Mel Cranenberg, Beth AQ, Backstory and the Glass House, their final shows are tomorrow, Wednesday 30th of March, after four years, midday and 1pm. Thank you for everything and congratulations. Melbourne's own Triple R. I used to ride PT to work every day, uh, so I would get on the bus, then train, then tram. I wasn't on, it, it would take an hour from door to door, so I wasn't on any of them long enough to really settle in. I was only on them for 15 to mm. fifteen to 18 minutes. Um, Just long enough to get settled in, then miss your stop. Exactly. <laughs> so I would, I was, I guess, getting a routine of what to do, and I would bring my Kindle, but that... I couldn't read a book because I would get into it and miss a stop. Yeah. Uh, so I'd have to listen to either radio or podcast or something like that. But I'd always have my my headphones on or or something. Um, what are you guys? Are you guys on public transport uh, like for long periods of time? I, what do you I do when just you drive? Well, because yeah, I drive, drive everywhere. I drive most places. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. But yes, I'm getting back <laughs> on. People are people. In the- you know, it was bad before the pandemic. It's still bad now. People aren't shuffling up together. Oh, naturally, they don't want to be close, but mm. they're blocking the doorway. It's like, come you on, sh- people. You, you're shuffling right up, up, up against <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah. There's just two of us on the tram. And, uh, We're back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm on all the time. Yeah, yeah, mm. I, I do it still quite. Whenever I'm going into the city, I'll always yeah. jump on it. And God, I spew when I leave my headphones at home. Um, oh yes, yeah, oh it's worst. just the worst. Yeah. Um, I was on a tram the other day though, and I saw this uh, older European lady. She was walking up the tram. She looked like she was a little bit lost. And I was sitting uh, listening to the radio, and she was coming up, and I could see her just looking at every single person um, as she was walking up. And then it wasn't until she got to me and she saw me and then her eyes kind of opened and she smiled and I just smiled back. Mm. And then she's come up and she's grabbed my arm. She's like, oh, she goes, could you please? She's like, I'm running late. My daughter doesn't know where I am. I haven't got a phone. And she had a piece of paper and it had a phone number on it. She's like, can you please, can I I call my daughter from your phone? I was like, oh, absolutely. Like this cute little old lady. And I like to think she was looking at everyone to see who the nicest person yes. was. Yes. Yes. Was happening. And then she saw me and I smiled and then she just... Yeah. All the most gullible. I'd, I'd appro- <laughs> yes. Yeah. The biggest Who's leader. the biggest sucker here? Yeah. 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 No, I'd approach you, Bobby. I'd ask Thank to use you. your phone. Yeah. So she took my wallet. phone and jumped off the bloody trap. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, she punched me in the nose. No, that was another story. Um, no, she took my phone and then and spoke to her um, daughter and then we happened to get off at the same spot and her daughter was there. It was, it was actually, it was very lovely. I don't always have I guess 
you know, these interactions. It was nice. I was on the tra- the train the other day. What makes me laugh, uh, this is one of the days that I forgot my headphones, so I'm very aware mm. of everything else that is going on. Um, All the sniffling and the... Oh, yeah. Well, just the loud talkers. Oh, like, they're worth... My goodness. Mm. This is... <laughs> But I do laugh sometimes. It, it, it does entertain me. I, I was on the train and a lady sprinted with a man and they just got on. And she has said at the top of her lungs, she goes, oh, shit, I think I just wet me pants. Was <laughs> <laughs> that a train? And it was on a train. And I just, oh, God. And I've just held in my laughter because I was nearby. I wasn't facing them. I was facing the other way. But I did chuckle to myself. And then she went on a monologue and went, why this was happening? She's like, you know, ever since I had kids. She's talking to the guy with to her. To the guy that she is with, mm, but, but everyone on the carriage and is knows, knows, knows you're listening. Well, yeah, that's a thing. I'm like, do you, are you aware or are you, because then I, I mean, I think that she is aware. Mm. Like everyone can hear, even if you've got headphones. You were pulling him out, going, "What is that noise?" Oh, like this, it was, it was so loud. And she went on to go on about it, it everything personal. Um, but last night when I was on a train, there was a guy that got on the train and he was taking a business call. And once oh. again, like he was just so loud, yeah. and he looked like he catches the train every single day. Like he kind of was, took his jacket off, went. To, it was like he was sitting in his office chair, and then he just went on with his whole conversation. And I, I don't know. Do you think perhaps? If you are taking the train or public transport every single day, you do forget that everyone is around There's and you're just so comfortable. type of person who takes calls on public transport. Yes. And I hate it. Yeah. I think it's such terrible etiquette. And I always, always, if my phone rings and I was on, I'm on a tram or a train, um, I either text the person or answer it and say, I'm on a train. Yes. I'll call you back. End of conversation. Yeah. That's it. No one, like, it's it's fine. And if you desperately have to take that call, speak quietly. Like, mm. it just, I just, it's so obnoxious. Yes. And, like, it's always the business calls as well. Some guy talking always. about mergers and acquisitions and <laughs> KPIs and, oh, who, did anyone hear them? Who, you know, talking about the money they're making. I, just, I know. I worked with a girl once who, um, we were having this conversation. I was like, oh, no, I never take calls on public transport because it's, inconsiderate and like I don't want people to hear my conversation because oh I never care I you know kind of framed it as though she's this like free and easy person and Mm. she's like oh I don't care who hears me I always take the take calls on the train I'm like no that doesn't make you like whimsical and confident that makes you annoying (laughs) and inconsiderate those around you like it's not like oh wow I wish I could have your confidence it's like you need to shut up Right. Tell us what you really think. I love this. This yeah. is great. Anyway, that's why I drive everywhere. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't so much mind uh, the talking. I, I don't like hearing someone's music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I but doesn't to... it make you think they're really cool? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to carry around headphones, mm. like cheap headphones to offer people. Did you? Yeah. That's so passive aggressive. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I love it. But then Apple changed their goddamn jack. <laughs> but you mean people just playing it out of their phone? Yeah, yeah. Or anything. Oh. Uh, just and, waiting for your moment to be able to offer it, looking around? Yeah, it's really, in retrospect, I'm surprised I wasn't bashed. <laughs> it's like appalling behaviour. Um, you know, but the pe- you know, public transport, people are getting back on it. Uh, there was a... Um, Chessie was on a late night train back to Frank's and some guy took all his clothes off and was doing <gasps> laps. Oh, geez. oh wow. 
<laughs> and there's nothing I can do. I'm not there. So you just have to, like, hope for the best. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but, but what it's did all- you do? Like, you just pretend that you can't see it, don't you, sometimes when you're on public you, yeah, transport? Yeah, just you're eyes down. It. Yeah, eyes down. Mm. Yeah, is. yeah. Uh, but now we're back. There's going to be more viral videos of, like, incidents. And yeah. I'm looking forward to that genre's return. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, look at all. <laughs> Public abuse. Yeah. That's what I want. More private schoolboys doing <laughs> weird shit. <laughs> Bring it back. Yeah. That's uh, but but your your um, friend did they take it when you said you're not whimsical, you're annoying. Oh, that was that was in her head. Say that. No, but I did. I did say to. Her, I did say to her. Oh no! Like I think I said. Oh no! Don't get me wrong. I'm not driven by like a lack of self confidence. You know, it's not because I'm so embarrassed about these, like, saucy conversations I'm apparently having. I said, I don't do it for the sake of the other passenger. She's like, oh, no, I always talk. You know, I have conversations. I get so bored on the tram, I just have to call a friend. And I was like, oh, God. If if I'm talking on a a phone and I'm, like, whispering because I'm embarrassed, (laughs) there's, A, everybody, A, I'm upsetting everyone around me. Yeah. And B, to the person I'm talking to, I'm just a weirdo, (laughs) bad conversationalist. It's like, lose, 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 lose. But I got a call once on the tram um, and it was a follow-up for a job I'd applied for. Oh, you got to answer. And, ah. it, and, yeah, and I thought it was just going to be – and I was kind of close to my stop. So I took it um, and I thought it was just going to be, thanks for your application or thanks for your, like, coming for an interview. And the guy – ended up being a weird job, so I should have known. But he said, oh, um, it's not really a formal interview as such, but, you know, maybe we can just have oh, a chat. No. So then I started having an interview on the tram. Oh. I'd already agreed to it. And then I saw this woman, luckily it was a pretty empty tram, the number one. And this woman was watching, older woman was watching me smiling and kind of could understand the awkward position I was in because he was, you know, then I started having to say, well, yeah, I think I'm quite a driven um, person. <laughs> and, you know, it's my, one of my best qualities. Oh, it yeah. was awful. And there's other commuters giving you the thumbs up. Yes. Good luck. <laughs> Michael Harden has taken time out of his onerous Melbourne Food and Wine Festival responsibilities to join us for a much-needed food interlude. Morning, Michael. Good morning, Michael. Uh, just call me a Saint, Michael. Yes, exactly. Right Thank you for your service. I know. It's all right. <laughs> uh, where, am I allowed to ask you where you were last night or where you're going? Uh, yes, last night I was, um, you know, I had to slum it at Attica. Oh, um, you Yeah, so it was really bad. Um, had a some some really amazing food. He just keeps delivering on that, and um, you know the fun at all. I think some of you have been yeah. there, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's like the trip out the back now oh. is kind of like it's his um, he's re um, refigured the Attica summer camp that he had up in the Yarra Valley. So you go out there and there's somebody there with a whole trolley full of little tarts and then there's somebody making um, slushy cocktails out of frozen oh, Riesling. Right. And, a Friesling. Know, a Friesling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know we're off topic here, but did Ben Jury provide uh, food for the opening with Nigella? He, was, um, he wasn't at the opening, but he did the world's longest lunch yeah, this year. Right. So um, he said it was like quite an interesting experience cooking for 1,800 mm, people. It's not... Yeah, it's not really normally his wheelhouse. No. You know, How so. many tables in Attica? 
They they're doing it around fifty yeah, at right. the moment. So you know, and that's kind of you know they they were doing less you know with density beforehand, but it's sort of fifty yeah. is sort of about it. So. Um, and is there salt on the table at Annika, or do they is that a bit bit beneath no, them? Well, with one dish, there was one dish that oh, had okay. that had salt, and it was flavoured with lemon myrtle. So it was, uh, <laughs> of you know, it kind of wasn't just you're not just going to have you know a bit of bit of saxa <laughs> on there. <you> know. <laughs> Um, but when would you use Saxa? Do you have a salt preference? I do have salt preferences. I kind of I, I'm really into um, for particularly finishing salt, which is the salt that you, you know, that's sort of like the more fine like crystals and stuff, and it's a little milder flavour. So I really like the the Australian pink salt. So there's the okay. um, the Murray River. Um, pink salt which is sort of a standard in my kitchen and then I also really love the Mount Zero lake salt pink lake salt which is um, done in Victoria and it's from a natural pink lake if you ever get a chance to go down there it's down near sort of past the Grampians and it's done with the local First Nations people um, they sort of they, they do all it's traditionally hand done and everything and Mount Zero is a um, organic olive grove that mm-hmm. also does lentils and things like that and so they've worked with the local people to do this this and the mm. salt's great it's like it's really it's mild and you know there's absolutely no additives you get a lot of because that's the thing with a lot of salt why it tastes so harsh is because it's got additives in it like a caking agent you know anti-caking mm. agents and some of them are sort of iodized salt so i kind of tend to like these sort of milder ones um there's also you know sea salts like molden which is a british salt which i really like as well and that's Mm. sort of a little more intense but that's there's no um chemicals in that whatsoever which is kind of where you want to go with cooking if you can um Mm. because it's uh it's really quite it makes it it makes it quite um really intense and um the other thing i think about um salt in cooking because it's like you know this is salt's considered among chefs like one of like you know it's 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 equal to say your knife skills or you know any other thing it's like one of the most important things is to do is to learn how to salt things properly Um, because you shouldn't you should get it to the end when it hits the table people shouldn't be thinking this needs salt Mm. and uh, but you should also not be um not be noticing the salt because that's over salted Mm. so it's like that kind of thing where it's like if you haven't salted properly you lose all these layers of flavors if you've oversalted it, then you've blocked all those other layers by by a single layer of salt. So it's like it's real trial and error kind of thing, which you should be doing with 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 your cooking. And it's sort of it's the way that you cook. You should be sort of cooking salting early um, and salting small amounts at a time and continual tasting and get it to your own taste. Like mm. with salt, as like you know the kind of salts that you're using, you need to sort of like taste them yourself and put them in water. And things like that, like have one with a little bit of salt in it and then one with no salt and then sort of add it into a place where, say, say with pasta water, for example, um, when you're salting that, you know, there's all these things about, you know, it should taste like the Mediterranean. It's like, well, I don't have access, so I can't really <laughs> compare right now. But uh, it should, they're saying it's more like, you know, you should be generous with your salt in the pasta because it actually alters the flavour of the pasta. It brings out some of the, it like stops the pasta sticking together a little bit because it reacts with starch. Like this is the amazing thing about salt. It just it's this mineral that we're eating. It's basically a rock mm-hmm. that we're eating, and it reacts with all foods and changes 
um, the density and the texture and the flavour and all of those sort of things. So it's really, really important to use it properly. Mm. Um, and it can sort of seem a little bit daunting to start with, but it's like it's just sort of you experiment around a little bit and try and go for salts, like if you can get them with the fewer chemicals as possible. So, you know, because there was the whole iodized salt thing for a while, which was a health thing. But if you're eating enough vegetables and fish, you won't need iodized salt. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you kind of like go, like cut that out, that nonsense out. And just, um, you know, go for something, a lot of salts you'll find have a, have a caking agent in them and it's not, not the end of the world, but the purer the better. Yeah. Mm. I have a Himalayan, I was received a Himalayan pink salt mm. slate. <coughs> yeah. Oh. I think I'm supposed to serve cheese on it. You can serve cheese, you can do oh. things like you can put um, meat and things like, you know, um, and little pieces of, it'll be really good to cure fish right. on as well. So you can sort of like, you put little bits of raw fish on it and it'll give it a salty sort of cure, <sighs> like slight cure to it. They're really great. And that Himalayan salt is amazing. Mm. Like I've kind of, it's in, it's all from a mine in Pakistan that's been mined uh, over a century mm -hmm. now. And um, and it's sort of like, it, it comes out pink that way. It's mm. sort of like, yeah, and right. apparently there's, the mine is like, it's almost like a kilometre long now and you can actually, it's like a tourist attraction you can go in there because they mine it in this sort of pillar kind of way where they have to leave. So instead of having to prop it up with, you know, with beams and things, they just mine around particular pillars of salt and so you're kind of going through these caverns that are just pink with these salt in it and mm. um, with the pillars holding up the roof. So it's quite amazing. Right. So. I won't put it in the dishwasher then. Well, no, no, not unless you never okay. want to see it again. <laughs> so is that a once? You just use that once? No, no. It's you just wipe it clean with a yeah. wet cloth. Really? And... Yeah. There's like there's a butcher over in um, I think it's in Armadale. They started out in Sydney. Um, Vix. It's Vix Meat. Um, and they have um, these amazing. It's like a. It's like some sort of art gallery. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever right. seen. And they have a curing room there where whole wall of the curing room is a, is salt. Get out. Oh, so wow. they hang the meat in there. And there's sort of just the salt in the air is kind of as part like the of the essence. aging the aging process. Yeah, wow. so it is. It's a really quite an amazing amazing thing. How salt, do you feel salt. about recipes that stipulate one and a half teaspoons of salt? Well, yeah, this is the interesting thing because it's like it depends on the salt. Like you can mm. really stuff that recipe right up if you kind of go for if you use one say one and a half recipe. You've got to know what the recipe writer mm. which salt the recipe writer was talking about because the difference say just in terms of like on a practical level in terms of density like table salt that you have which is like that chemical Grainy. astringent dust um <laughs> don't really like it so that's yeah that is um like just in terms of the physics of it like they're tiny little grains and they're really packed together so that is going to be really salty, like one and a half. Mm. Whereas if you go for something with a sea salt, with a bigger grain, with a looser grain, that sort of stuff, then you can like, so say, so one and a half, mm. um, you'd probably halve that with a mm. with a sea even though sea salts are quite intense but it's like with that table salt just because with the bigger grains of a sea salt there's more air between them so it's just you're just using less salt with mm. that and also with the grainy salt that you've got you know they've got a bit of texture that you feel it like this it's the best way to salt is to use your fingers because you have a better sort of feel of how much is going on there um, and particularly, you know, sort of with things like meat and stuff, you know, you can kind of, well, everything, vegetables, fish, it's sort of like, it, it's it just, you have more control than if you're throwing something out of a salt shaker and it's sort of, particularly when it's small grained yeah. as well. So. And is, is salt, what's its role in 
food preservation in 2022? It's still the main thing. Like, yeah. you know, every every brilliant, you know, prosciutto or, or hummon or whatever kind of preserved meat, that's, you know, it's all just, it's still that same preservation mm-hmm. thing because it draws the moisture and the blood out of meat, for example. And so the less moisture you have in meat, the less bacteria is going to be able to grow. So it's sort of, it's an ancient thing. You know, they've been salting things for thousands of years in mm-hmm. order to preserve food. So it's kind of like, it's that whole moisture drawing quality of it that's sort of like, you know, it's still, you know, still in Italy, even though that the, the, um, the prosciutto now, a lot of it is um, cooked on a, uh, cooked, is um, preserved on a um, grand scale, you know, to, to suit the market. But it's still the same ingredients that have been using. It's always salt. Mm-hmm. How many salts do you have in your cupboard? I probably have about four or five. I got some really great um, sort of flavoured salts. There's a place up in um, um, Ballarat called Saltbush Kitchen and um, that she's doing some real... So I don't mind a flavoured salt every now and again, like the one that I had at Attica mm. last night with the, the lemon myrtle salt that they had with a... It was like they did, he did a... Um, it, it was like a... He called it roux frite. So it's like steak frite in a French restaurant, but, oh. with, but with roux instead. So there was well, there was a hollandaise sauce and there was... You know, we had fries and we had... But everything was, you know, that had some sort of indigenous ingredient, native ingredient in his. So it was... Um, it was pretty special. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, and chicken salt, is that a real thing? <laughs> Look... You know, I don't thing. mean to lower the tone. Daniel, it exists. Yeah, I know it, it exists, exists, but is it salt? Oh, I think so. Like there's something, you know, there's there's sort of something about salt that you can get. Like there's a lot of health things about, oh, you can't eat too much salt and it's going to give you a heart attack and everything. But it's like it'll give me a heart attack if I can't have salt on my chips. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, you know, it's like sometimes you just need a little bit of salt. Sometimes, you know, it's sort of like you have to sort of balance the pleasure principle here. It's sort of like, yeah, yeah, I could live another couple of years, but then I don't want to live. <laughs> Without those chips. Oh, Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, that's your daily problem, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. uh, Michael Harden, there's so much to talk about. We've only, uh, what would you say, wet the appetite? Of- I was trying yeah. to think of a salt party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, don't worry about um, But thank you. Good luck for the rest of the festival. Yeah, no worries. Thanks very much. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I used to have singing lessons when I was younger. Did either of you guys have singing lessons? Them. You've had them? Yeah, it may surprise most people, but I have. Yeah, yeah. right. When, when you were younger, when in, you were older? When or? I was in high school. Oh, okay. For about a year. Was it your choice? I think I really wanted to be good at singing. Yeah. Um, and I played piano and I loved studying music and stuff like that. So I was oh, like, right. oh, let's do it. But um, And I loved being, I was always in the choir. Oh, so yeah. I, I like singing when there are other people around me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Have you ever been in the choir, Daniel? Oh, probably. <laughs> I mean, you're in, we're all I in, guess choir, in, we're in a school, yeah, but not, um, not there's no triple R choir. Or... Yeah. Oh, I wish there was. <laughs> I could see you in a choir. Mm. Um, when I was younger, I was, and I, I was forced to go to singing <gasps> lessons. My mum was a singer and she just really wanted me to be a singer. My brothers didn't get told to sing or anything, so I used to go to these singing lessons when I was probably in, I don't know, early primary school. Um, and I hated it. And the, I remember the the room that I would go in with the teacher and my mum would be sitting there and then I'm just like, and she'd ask me to sing and I was just so shy and embarrassed and I just mm. hated it. And the teacher was like, would you would you be more comfortable if your mother was outside? And I could just see my mother just sitting there like, don't you down? Like, um, mm-hmm. a lot of power. maybe. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, my mum went out. Anyway, I, I did the lessons for I don't know how long until I just said to, I'm just like, I hate this. I really mm. don't want to do it. Um, 
when I got older, though, I'd, I actually did quite enjoy it. And I did, I was in the choir um, in primary school and I quite enjoyed that um, until I got kicked out because apparently I was singing too loudly. Anyway, um, you know, I was, I was shy with singing and so, I don't know, I thought if I joked about it then I wouldn't be as shy and then I could, you know, sing mm. louder. And I thought I actually sounded all right, but apparently I was just... So did you really get kicked out? I mean... Yeah, just out of the room whilst I was singing the hymns or whatever the bloody hell we were singing. Um, yeah, because I, I, I always sang, but I, I sang really low so you couldn't hear. And I feel like I had I, to put a bit of power behind it. I, I'd kind of make it funny so that oh. I wasn't... So, so I was singing better, yeah. but a bit too disruptive. Yeah. Um, anyway, as I got older, I, I did want to go to singing lessons. So I, I started doing them as an adult. Um, and the singing, I guess, a school that I went to, it was very mixed. So there, the majority were young kids and then there were a few adults like myself and some other older, older adults were just like, oh, I've always wanted to sing, so give it a go. Mm. Um, so we had these individual lessons and then we would go to um, – and then we would have like a – a master class every three months so we'd all come together and it was in this and I didn't realize this at the time but it was at, at, in a church so we it was quite religious uh, and we sat there and the teacher the director of the entire school like we we're all sitting in a classroom uh, and he addressed us and just welcomed us and you could see that he wanted to be really inspirational mm. and so I'm just sitting there waiting and a lot of the, the students were really lapping it up and then the director starts saying this I believe the children are our future. Oh, no, I didn't. Teach them well. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you are kidding me. You are not about to break into Whitney Houston right now. <laughs> and then he broke into Whitney Houston singing, talking, and it was the most cringeworthy <laughs> thing I have ever been a part of. I think the biggest thing was I was just like gobsmacked, like, are we getting pranked right now? And I'm looking around in the classroom and people are like, mm, yes, and putting their hands up. I'm like, oh, my God. Wait, so he, he – but he started singing. Singing. He recital the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, started – yeah. Like you know, he, I believe the children are, teach them well. <laughs> let them lead the way. Oh, right, and it was no, a combination like a of singing and pre- and I was just, <laughs> holy shit, what have I signed up for? It was the most embarrassing thing. And you're and an adult at this stage. I was an adult. I was in my mid-twenties. <gasps> and it's a long song, especially when you're talking it and stopping and pausing. And I was, it, it was just... Mid-twenties are our future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm asking because I feel like sometimes little kids can be swept up by that because they're like, oh, an adult is doing something cool, like doing singing, you know? I can't do that, but surely you can't. Who's impressed by that? Everyone except for me. It was, it was, it was very odd. Um, and then I was just like, oh, God, because this day was like he would talk to us for a little bit and then we'd go out and we would all rehearse, like we'd get up individually and sing our songs mm. that we had been practising and then we have the concert after six months. It really is a children's school. I don't know what I was doing there, but anyway. <laughs> Bobby was living Billy Madison for the movie. <laughs> I'm cringing. Meanwhile, everyone's cringing at me because I'm the only adult in the bloody room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, the, the, did people? Did you get the impression that the teacher was in it fit himself? You know, oh, was he a good teacher apart from that? Um, I, I mean, I'm sure he was fine. I it, it did deter me from mm. everything else that happened for the rest of the day. I was like, oh, God. Mm. But, I mean, the younger people did lap it up and they really enjoyed it. Um, and it, it was just like he was really trying to inspire. And you know when people try to inspire, it is so uninspiring. It, yes. 
Yeah, oh, it doesn't work. No, not at all. Um, it, uh, that's not. It doesn't work on us. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. It works yeah. on, on idiots. <laughs> the children. Yeah, the future. Silly little children. Oh, so yeah. So it, it was. Um, it was interesting. Uh, and then we went out and, and we performed and everything. Anyway, get this. So afterwards. I, I met someone there that I got along with and she had a beautiful voice, sounded like Nora Jones. Mm-hmm. And, and she oh. was actually singing one of her songs. I was just like, oh, my God. Um, now, years ago, I used to sing at the Women's Football Grand Final, so the Victorian Women's Football League. They always had a, a horrible CD or something that would play and it, half the time it didn't work and... I knew a lot of the people that I played in, in the competition and they're, they're just like, Bobby, why don't you just sing? I'm just like, you know what, stuff it. Just give me a microphone. And it was just one year when it didn't work mm-hmm. and they're like, give it to Bobby. So I took the microphone and I just sang a cappella and it was entertaining and, and fun and, and then I was like, why don't you just do that every year? So I did it for like three or four years. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then um, I was working for the women's competition as well. I was the operations manager Um later on so then I was like you know what I've actually got a lot of other things that I'm stressing about today mm. I don't want to sing anymore so I said can we get someone else to sing and they're like oh right um I was like can you give me a little bit of a budget so that I can go out and try and find someone so I wanted to ask this friend that I saw at the singing classes who was amazing uh but I thought I'd ask my teacher who was not the director this is a, a different teacher in my individual classes I said oh I was thinking of asking her to sing at the um, grand final. I think she's great. What do you think? Um, I've got a little bit of a budget. She'll get a couple hundred dollars. And she looked at me and she's like, mm, look, I, I just don't think that she's going to be ready. And I was so taken back because I wasn't – I was kind of just asking for confirmation. I didn't, wasn't expecting her to say no. I said, really? You don't – I go, it's, it's not that big a deal, only a couple of hundred people. She said, no, look, my husband and I will do it. Oh, <gasps> Right. Wow. Fantastic. And I was like, oh, oh. And I just was so polite. I was just like, okay, all right. And so her and her husband did it. And she was, a, she was actually a really good teacher. She could, her notes scale was amazing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But singing, it's, it's amazing how you can have an amazing range, yet your singing voice not very good. Really? Yes. Oh, no. Anyway, so she sang. And it, can I guess? Final. Was it I Got You, Babe? <laughs> <laughs> and then that other teacher steps in and goes, And I! That's right. Triple R. Catherine Devaney is the genre-hopping author of 10 books, including novel The Happiness Show, Writing Guide, Use Your Words, The Self-Help Mental, with Dr. Steve Ellen, and compilations of columns, Free to a Good Home, Say When, and It's Not My Fault They Print Them. Her new book, True North, a memoir, navigates the highs and lows of her creative life, family legacies, and intimate relationships, and to tell us about it, the writing teacher, commentator, and comedian joins us now. Catherine, welcome back to Breakfast. God, I'm an inspiration. You are. To be be fair, Mm. you know, I just kind of think of myself as a... I don't know, shambolic milf from Coburg, but that sounds <laughs> like fantastic. That. Have I won impressive. a Nobel Prize not or yet. am I the Secretary General of the United Nations? No, Is not. that happening? Yeah, I'm good. Hello, darlings. What's, <laughs> tell us, what's this book all about then? That is a really good question. It's a it's a cry for help. Mm-hmm. Um, it's <laughs> I, it, it was probably a million words that it got down to this 80,000 and there really should be awards for editors. There's not. I mean, we've got, war, you know, there's so many, you know, career medal cer- ceremonies for so many different um, occupations but not for editors. And I was going to say, 
you know, when people write a book, they say my author, which is so kind of proprietal. It's just like get my wife's mouth, face. <laughs> Do you mean the, who says my author? Exactly. Exactly. But they say my editor, which oh. I... Oh. So they say, yes, they, they, people say who've written a book, my editor. But So the, what's the book about? Well, the book is... <laughs> my book is about my editor. No. <laughs> the, so you say, what is it about? So the editor, Kirsty Innes-Will, who is a total genius, she made this book about what it was. See, I wrote it and I thought what the book was, it was about splitting up... Um, a long splitting up from a long-term relationship because you never saw the stitching and I wanted to show the stitching of how you get into a relationship, why you stay, how things fall apart and why you leave mm. and what that feels like and the heroic act of leaving a long-term relationship. It really is because, you know, this happened about, you know, 12 years ago mm-hmm. and it was so catastrophic and so all-consuming and I talked to people who were, you know, 10 or 20 years older than me and going, oh, yeah, that's right, we did that. Mm-hmm. And you go, how do you not remember, how is that still not this war wound that you carry around? Mm. So I thought it was about that. But with the help of Kirsty's work and putting a final chapter on, I, th- I now think it's something about something entirely different in the same way that you can listen to a song or see a piece of art or watch a show or listen to a joke and it can change depending on which part of the prism you look through. So what I think it is about is that we're constantly splitting up with parts of ourselves, constantly, Um, who we are, what we think of our family, what we think of ourselves, our bodies, food, relationships, religion, the world, values, beliefs. So I think think that's what it's about. What do you think, Dan? No, I think that's pretty accurate, splitting up. And also you've you've spoken about scars and wounds Mm. and the time. Uh, giving the space to mm. reflect. I mean, this is, I suppose, critics of yours, and I can't think of any, but, um, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what they might say. Like, what what is the worst straw man of Catherine? Like, closed-minded, firebrand mole or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it just is not there. Like, your friends know you as a mm. kind, generous, lovely, wise person, and this book reflects that. Mm. Oh, that's good. Well, um, hang on. I, I know there was a – it sounded like a massive insult buried in there. No, I think you're right, though. One of the things that I've learnt because I've copped a lot of trolling yeah. um, in the past, but almost none now, none. You don't get trolls when you write books. Mm. And that's one thing that I learnt when it was really relentless. There was um, a, a tweet, one of the – a Twitter tweet from, you know – a guy called, you know, Glenn69 from Perth who had, like, a picture of a car on his profile, you know, proud Aussie, you know, <laughs> like, you know, liberal voter. And the tweet was, if only we could all write books. And it made me realise with trolls, that's all they can do. Mm-hmm. The limit of their capacity is to be furious and to be able to put it into really small bursts. And they've generally got kind of a rotating, you know, carousel of, only got they've got about 12 or 13 and that was one of the things that I learned when they would be I'd be copying it and copying it a lot if you looked onto their profiles they were just taking a day off from you know having a go at the gays or the refos or a female politician or that that's all they can do the only thing that they can change is who they direct it towards but I tell you what I'm not expecting one single troll um (laughs) so if there's any trolls out there um (laughs) good morning (laughs) I'm inviting you to troll my book (laughs) 
Um, you laid yourself pretty bare in this, you know, and you talk about having been trolled in the past, and this is such an honest, you know, beautiful story, and it, you know, goes across all your life from childhood to now. And was there a part of you that was ever reluctant to put that much of yourself on the page? No, there wasn't. There were po- there are actually parts that I wanted to put more on the page, mm. but I am not into um, gratuitous stuff in uh, memoir. And generally, it's just pornography. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's totally unnecessary. I mean, think about all of those crime television shows. They've always got the, you know, so often the person getting killed is a young, beautiful girl wearing matching bra and undies. You know, it's just, and the amount of, you know, sexual assault and violence in a lot of art is so unnecessary. You can tell the story without it. So one of the things I tell my gunners, I run these masterclasses called Gunners, um, and I, it's not my, I'm sure I didn't come up with this, but I've picked it up somewhere. They say write from the scar, not from the wound. So when you are writing from the scar, you can leave a lot of that personal stuff behind. My partner, Anthony, once said while I was, you know, thrashing away on this, he said, um, who's your audience? I said, my audience is truth. And absolutely everything I wrote, and Dan, you know this a lot of this story, every single word I wrote, I just made sure, is this too soft? Is this too sharp? It just had to, there was such a fine letterbox that I wanted this let, this letter to be able to sail through because I wanted it to be the truth mm. and and it is and I'm, I'm one of the things I'm pleased with is because memoir is my favorite genre or genre as Channel 9 calls it <laughs> um, it's my, and I read a lot of memoir and memoir is good when it has a really solid theme so things like Jacinta Parsons mm. um, Unseen mm. um, and uh, Georgia Blaine's the, Mu- the Museum of Modern Words and uh, Hannah Gadsby's memoir comes out this week I think it comes out today um, Indira Naidu's got um, a, mem- a memoir about her sister who died by suicide a memoir is good but it has a really solid theme and so I'm I'm pleased with how true this is without being gratuitous and I was on with Jacinta yesterday and she said you're so kind to the people around you and kind to yourself and I thought that's true but that took no effort because the only objective I had was truth and I think That's what it was. Mm -hmm. I didn't also – I think some people kind of obscure something and wink, wink and give you a bit of a dog whistle or they want to act all magnanimous and saying, I could talk about that but, you know, they go low and I go – you know, they go Mm -hmm. low and I go high. Whereas I didn't do that. I just went – what is true and fair, and that's what I wrote. One of the things that you mentioned in the book is uh, about your logical family, so for the family that you choose and who choose you, as opposed to your biological family that you're born into. What was it like for you when you first met your logical family? Well, you meet them along the way, and mm. I think that cutting off, uh, cutting off or dialing back um, contact and relationships with your blood family should be normalised. And when I say that, People will kind of laugh. But why should you have to have these close relationships with people who are blood relations simply because they're blood relations? You don't have to throw your hands up in the air and crack it and, and, and ghost them and say, you're dead to me now. But so many of those relationships have run their course, whether it's your parents, whether it's your children, whether it's your siblings, whether it's your grandparents – whether it's your partner that you have been in a long enough term relationship to kind of consider a blood relation, we've got to learn that this idea of being together, whether that is as partners or, you know, in a blood family or a family unit, that together, 
that was come up with when people lived till when they were 30. I, I know that the, I'm fiercely, fiercely, fiercely against marriage and I've never married. Um, I've never found the right owner, to be honest. And um, I know that young people are doing that again and I know that people still go into it expecting it's forever. Would people, if we lived until we were 300, would people still go into long-term relationships and marriage thinking it was forever and if it only got to 150 years going, oh, we split up and I'm so embarrassed, I'm so bad at this, I'm such a failure. It's ridiculous that any um, decisions we made about our lives when we were 18, 25, 35, 20, 10, 30 years later, how few things are we still wearing, listening to, watching, mm. eating and feeling like that? So when you find your the members of your logical family and I am constantly taking them on board, um, I'm yet to let any go, you just feel this sense of frequency and you feel this sense of seeing and being seen. There's a term in IT programming, um, loose coupling, strong cohesion, and I think that best describes members of your logical family. A lot of my logical family, people like Dowsett and stuff, are not like me and us. And my logical family are not all part of the one family, but they're my logical family. There's overlaps, mm. but, yeah. What about your biological family? Have they read it? Are they angry? Wow, mm-hmm. this is a question I had not, it had not even gone through my head um most of the members of my biological family I wouldn't piss on if they were on fire to be honest and I think it's interesting to note that um I don't really talk about my father much at all and I only remember uh, mention one of my siblings so um there I don't expect any of them to read it my sister Helen who I talk about in the book she's coming tonight um I come from, and I think that I've made it really clear, an Irish Catholic family where I'm probably considered too big for my boots. My work is never mentioned. My my work is never mentioned, neither in good or bad. And I remember talking to Fiona O'Loughlin about it, and it's a very Irish thing when you, you're allowed to be a certain kind of success, level of success in a certain kind of way, but when you get beyond that and you are considered... And I'm never called that, but I can I know that they will not be pleased... And they won't read it. But to be honest, um, if they ever give me, if I get any rubbish from them, I'll just say, you know, well, knock yourself out, write your own memoir. Perhaps I could suggest come to a Gunners writing master. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the, so they haven't said it. But the thing is, it's all truth. And I, and I hope because art and creativity is about your becoming part of the conversation. This isn't the start of the conversation or the end of it end of the conversation, maybe members of my family will write three or four other um, memoirs around the same period and that will be interesting. But if they, if people wanted to be written about or thought about better, maybe they should have behaved better, to be honest. <laughs> but this is what my life is about, is about connecting with people and connecting with people often through art. So I have had so much joy from, for example, you know, the work that everybody's, you know, I've heard you DJ, I've seen you do stand-up, I've basically, you know, I've lived through a lot of your creative career with you too, Dan, and we have with other people and we listen here to people who are, you know, talking with you and, and you're talking about what other people are doing and that is 
the most extraordinary human connection through art and emotion. And I have been such a great recipient of that mm. and such a great appreciator of that. I love just being in that transaction. And today and this week, I'm on the other side of it because I'm mm. the generator. Mm. Uh, the book launches tonight. That'll be cathartic, I suppose. Yeah, well, yes. Um, it'll be a hotbed of MILFs. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. So if, you, if there's any shortages of MILFs out there, just back your truck in and just, I don't know, just gangle some Jaeger shots or something on the back. They'll just hop on in, maybe play a bit of Jolene or something, and they are, they're there. So, yeah, there'll be plenty, plenty right. of MILFs. Well, good luck and congratulations. Um, True North's The Book, A Memoir. We've been speaking with Catherine Devney. Thank you. Thank you. Triple R. Earlier in the show, Bobby, you were talking about having singing lessons. Yes. Um, and it reminded me of when I, I had singing lessons for about a year when I was in high school, when I was about, I don't know, about year nine or ten. Um, and the singing teacher at the school was the mum of a girl that my brother had dated when he was a teenager. Um, and I, one, well, for one, there was an issue with the singing lessons, which is the fact that I, if I find it the most petrifying thing ever when you talked earlier about just jumping on mic and singing a song because the cd wasn't working i just think that's that's the worst thing <laughs> ever um so i was often too embarrassed to sing for my teacher to hear me so it was very hard oh. to progress how much did you pay for these lessons <laughs> what a sweet gig that would be for the teacher. well yes. it, was, it got even sweeter because um so her her daughter and like you know my brother had taken her daughter to the formal or whatever and he's four years old, four years older than me so um and we spent so say it's a 45 minute listen i reckon we spent 35 minutes talking about carl my brother carl oh my god um, and wasn't isn't he great oh you know and he they, they really had a good thing going <laughs> um my brother is gay so that <laughs> Also, maybe it wasn't great for his girl. I mean, you know, at the time things are different. But um, so, and we spent we my what it turned out, my mum and dad paid very good money for me to hear about this, um, you know, fifty-five-year-old woman's obsession with my brother. Oh, (laughs) trying to win your brother back for her daughter. Yeah, just every every lesson, and mum and dad would be like, "Hey, singing lessons going?" And then you know, I was like, "Oh, we did some good breathing exercises. (laughs) I sang a few." a few few notes from uh, this song from The Sound of Music. And then, you know, we talked about Carl uh, and his ex. So that was good. Wow. How <laughs> annoying. Your brother just taking over your, your singing lessons. I mean, through no fault of his own. He's just obviously unmatchable, yeah. you know. Mm. So, Mon, we have a catalogue here of breakup songs that I'd like you to take home and sing loudly next to your brother's door. Are you sure he doesn't want me to sing loudly? I remember we used to have um, school sports and we would have like years seven to nine in one campus and ten to twelve in the other campus. So I never saw my brothers. We we, we One would come out of the campus, another one would leave. Anyway, because we were three years apart. But we'd have sports together. So it was school sports when all my friends saw my older brother and instantly had a crush on my older brother. Um. And then all our conversations revolved revolved around my older brother and all of a sudden I had mates that wanted to come out at my hang out at my place like oh what are you doing on the weekend oh maybe I'll come to your place I was like yeah yeah come that'll be awesome they're like what's your brother doing will he be there like oh (laughs) get out of here yeah you're not invited Mm. damn I uh, I mean my sister I'm the youngest of four children I've got three older sisters and their uh, boyfriends would fall in love with me oh that's problematic no 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 no. (laughs) but they would like, they would break up and they're like, well, can I still go to the cricket nets with Daniel? Oh. <laughs> I'd 
it's like, can Daniel come around and play video games? <laughs> Uh, but also, your sisters are forging, or your siblings are forging reputations you're not aware of. Mm. And, you know, we all went to the same high school. So I turn up, and I have no idea what anybody thinks of the, my older sister. But um, Gemma goes, she gets, says, if, um, if you get into trouble, if anyone wants to bash you, just say that you're my brother. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And then it's, I was like, I don't know what day it was, mm. but like I'm getting shirt fronted or... Whenever, and I just pulled out the ace. I said, oh, I'm Jim Burt's brother. And they dropped what they were doing. You're really? And I said, Why did you say so? And walked off. What a tyrant she must have been. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh my God, she's the Tony Soprano of Frax and I. How good. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I wish I could have pulled that out with my that. singing That's teacher, but she knew well who my brother was. And yeah, exactly. And, he, and how's her, the singing teacher's daughter's going, do you know? Oh, yeah, she's still pining up. <laughs> <laughs> and Triple R. Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasts, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or the Triple R website.